You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Body IO FM. This is your host, Kiefer, with my co host, Dr. Rocky Patel. Hi there, Kiefer. And uh, I just wanted to do, luckily we only have one sponsor, so there's not a lot long list, and that's Hylete Athletic Apparel. Um, again, they've been you know more than gracious in, in helping sponsor this, and I don't really like sponsors in general, if you haven't noticed, but their clothing is just like literally amazing. If you have an athletic build, uh, or you're very serious about your training and you don't want your clothes to get in the way or cause... You, basically, their their clothes are like perfect for very active people. Uh, even their kind of nicer stuff, their V-neck shirts. I love wearing those things. I'm going to wear that stuff out. So uh, I highly recommend checking out their website, highleet.com. And uh, that's it for sponsors, luckily. And today we have Kyle Davies on the show. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, he works with a lot of people. He's He's located in the U.K., uh, for depression and other, you know, more personal issues that people tend to ignore when they're trying to focus on their health. Um, and that's his primary focus is working on these interpersonal and intrapersonal effects of health and kind of and combining that with the general overall well-being of the person. So, hi, Kyle. Thanks for being on with us today. Well, hi, Kiefer. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be on the show. I'm a big fan of what you do. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real, real pleasure to be here. Well, we really just wanted you on the show because you have a British accent. Oh, God bless you, young man. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I realized this. I didn't understand the history of this. It turns out the British accent is kind of a modern accent for the British people. The way we talk here in the U.S., the more generic kind of West Coast uh, accent is actually would have been the accent when the United States was first colonized. And you guys have apparently evolved with your speech patterns and we Americans just haven't. Well, that, that's, that is interesting because <laughs> my, I, I'm, I'm Welsh and my accent is, uh, I mean, m- most people who live in Britain don't can't locate where I'm from. So I have a BBC British kind of accent, um, which is a non-accent as far as people that live here are concerned. So we do, I mean, there are probably 10 or 15 regional accents that people have here. So uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting what you say there. I'm, yeah, you know more about it than I do, obviously. (laughs) So why why don't you give us, uh, since we've gone on that segue, why don't we bring this back to uh, the, the work you do? So I'm a psychologist by uh, uh, original trade. Um, I started my career working in management consulting, doing a whole range of different things, really. The thing that interested me most was was the executive coaching line of work, um, really, because, you know, I liked that thing of trying to help people transform and get, you know, get to their goals and make breakthroughs in their lives. Um, the thing, the thing with what, I guess what I was doing that, that I always felt that people within a work context 
still wore a role, you know, wore a mask of, of their role of being a, 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 an, a, an executive or a manager or whatever it was. And there was a part of me that, that really fancied the idea. I liked the idea of getting a bit deeper, getting into the person. So I, I went and did a truckload of, of different types of therapy, of hypnotherapy, NLP, a bit of, of, of cognitive behavioral therapy, counseling, the tapping therapies. So I, I kind of immersed myself in that and then started doing some work in, in, in therapy, looking at kind of stress, anxiety and, and depression. But I was also really keen, as even though I'd kind of done all that training, I was really keen to try to, uh, I guess, um, find things that work by combining, you know, those ideas, but also trying to, 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 to develop my own stuff. So I, I'm very kind of practically focused, very focused on, you know, what works in, in, in practice. Then in, in about kind of 2003, I met a Scottish doctor who had a particular interest in uh, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Um, and he'd done some of the same psychotherapy training that I'd done. So um, I thought this is this is this looks good here because it was it was really looking at it was taking I suppose a probably fairly ancient idea, but uh, an idea that was 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 kind of being brought back to the to the to the forefront of things that that symptoms are solutions, symptoms are purposeful, um, and it was trying to look at symptoms as being a signal that the body or the mind body is trying to convey some information to us. Uh, and of course, we're, we're so kind of caught up in a, in a culture of trying to just eradicate symptoms at any cost. Um, you know, it's if, be it just taking a pill for a headache or whatever. And, and despite all the fantastic things that medicine does for us, and it's so good at dealing with, with acute uh, problems, it seemed to be struggling a bit with, with chronic problems. And the idea of working directly on the symptom, I was, I, you know, I kind of wondered whether that was part of the problem. So, so this idea of working with, with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, say, was, was born out of this this theory that the symptom is purposeful, and and also that um, it, the the it's part of uh, I guess the the protracted uh, stress response. So looking at the work of going back to the I guess the the originator of the notion of stress, Dr. Hans Saley and his general adaptation syndrome. You know, and the idea that if a body is is in a pro, a prolonged state of stress, it's only the it's only at the very start of the that stress uh, state that we actually are aware of being in a state of stress and then our body kind of adapts until it gets to a point where it's adapting and it's resisting but then it, it breaks down and through the the immune system the, the autonomic nervous system and the and the, the endocrine system the body then breaks down and then there's the experience of symptoms so this was the this was the kind of idea that um through the through the the the, the HPA axis, you know the hypothalamus, pituitary, and, 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 and adrenal axis, there would be this this kind of protracted stress response, and then the production of symptoms. And but this was all still linked to the idea that well, actually, the our body is trying to tell us something. So and it's that's I guess what the stress response is. It's the the body trying to alert us to something that we're not happy about. So we 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 looked at this then from the perspective that. It, it's probably about emotion. Stress is kind of about emotion, even though in, you know, most of the time these days, people think of stress as some state, some felt sense experience that they are, they are aware of. 
really kind of the original ideas about stress that it's that it's not necessarily something you 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 are aware of it could well lie outside of conscious awareness so initially you may be aware of being stressed but a lot of the time people are, are not and especially in in our, 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 our modern lives where we tend to you know so much of our behavior is is unconscious patterns so we do the same sorts of things over and over again and and if people have problems in their lives those problems are not immediate that, that then go away they tend to be problems that kind of stick around so we 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 looked at it in this perspective that possibly there's a buildup of emotion or a blockage or an imbalance or a suppression of emotion at some level which then is remains kind of undetected and yet the, 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 the midbrain and the hypothalamus and the pituitary are aware of what's going on. And then these then kind of shoot into this kind of overdrive, then, which then sends the, the whole, whole, whole body, as I say, through the autonomic nervous system, endocrine system and immune system into, the, in, into haywire and then the, the, the production of symptoms. So we, we started working with these, these, these conditions, looking at... This, this kind of this idea of it about of being about emotion and we had to we had to are you, are you sorry are you, are you okay with me kind of waffling on like this yeah yeah no no, no this is fine um i think you've you've already brought up a lot of uh, very salient points uh and, and we'll we'll circle back to a couple of those but go on okay so um with looking at emotion, the thing again that we were sort of curious about was that the the, the the conventional treatment for chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia was cognitive behavioral therapy along with uh, either antidepressants and painkillers. But it would it seemed that uh, cognitive therapy didn't really work for these sorts of conditions. So this was this was kind of interesting because the I guess the prevailing view of emotion had been cognitive in orientation that emotion, Really, you know, when you talk to, to the, you know, the kind of man in the street, emotion would be the end result of a thinking process. You know, you think some thoughts, you have some 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 emotions. So if you can change the way you think that you can change your, your emotion. But this didn't really this wouldn't seem to work with with people that suffered from from these sort of, you know, chronic fatigue, chronic pain and even bowel complaint because they could change the way they think. But it didn't seem to change the presence of symptoms. So we kind of figured there must be more to to what people think of as emotion, um, and it transpires that you know there are kind of researchers out there that are sort of changing, I suppose, the, the perspective on on emotion. And so we, we we kind of you know the I guess the conclusion we, we kind of came to obviously this is an evolving development process, but the, the conclusion we sort of came to was that there's obviously almost like there's almost as if there's more than one part to 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 emotion there seems to be a, a kind of a core part of emotion which are, which is triggered independently of our thinking and therefore possibly outside of our our awareness and this is probably um uh, produced as a as a some sort of of interaction between the heart and the the, the midbrain or the emotional brain the non-thinking part of the brain and and even our gut is, you know what apparently what science tells us is that we have neurons in our heart we have neurons in our gut and there is a flow of intelligent activity between gut heart and midbrain uh, and that the flow of information there seems to be uh, more uh, effective even than the flow of information between the midbrain and the cognitive brain so 
it seems that there's this this core emotion then that's triggered independently of our thinking. And and when that is triggered, it does lead to an increase in our thinking. So the the thinking centers of the brain light up and then we think. And of course, we all know that we can think about things and and, and create emotion. Um, But that seems to be a secondary bit. So from a practical perspective, when I work with people, I, you know, I talk about core emotion that comes, you know, as a result of our interaction with our environment and is not the result of our thinking. And then we have mind emotion, which arises as as a result of our thinking. So what we found then was by looking at, by working with kind of core emotion, change people's thinking patterns, we could, and and looking at this idea that symptoms are purposeful, symptoms are the the mind-body's way of trying to get our attention, and understanding there's probably a blockage, a suppression, or imbalance of emotion in there, that we could, you know, we could tune into those emotions, and this is, again, this is something I heard you say uh, uh, in in an interview, is, you you know, the idea of people listening to, to their body, and that was, that's something that I kind of say to clients, because I think it's something that we've, we've almost, I wouldn't say evolved out of, but we've kind of moved away from, we've been, you know, in Western culture, we've been so cognitively orientated, so thinking orientated, that I think a lot of people have lost touch with the body, lost touch with our felt sense experience. So by getting people back in touch with that, by tuning into this core emotional experience and understanding the kind of information that it's trying to convey we were able to kind of help people get past symptoms so it was i think it's you know often when people think about emotion they either think it's all in the head and kind of made up or if you're going to work with it people often think you have to go back into your past you've got to dig up you know your childhood memories and talk about it whereas you know i I look at emotion in a very kind of mechanistic pragmatic kind of way that it's it's the mind body's way of trying to help us navigate through life so it really is um, the result of our interaction with our environment and is kind of occurring on an ongoing basis. And it may be something has happened, you know, in childhood, which has resulted in maybe a pattern of behavior that leads to a suppression or blockage of emotion. But that's still going to be happening today and probably tomorrow and the next day unless we deal with it today. So the majority of my work is, is say, looking at emotion in that that very practical way, that, that mechanistic way, and dealing with it as it as it arises now. Um, and I think this is it because we're, what we're seeing, you know, I think is 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 kind of an almost like an epidemic proportions of people suffering from medically unexplained symptoms. So we've got depression and anxiety, which are absolutely enormous, but we've got all of these kind of pain, fatigue, bowel type stomach and bowel type symptoms in insomnia, skin problems. And, you know, when these are all clustered together, then people have a diagnosis of chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, post-viral fatigue, or fibromyalgia. But often they, they don't occur together and people are, are just given a diagnosis of, well, we don't know what it is. Um, so, um, yeah, how's that going? <laughs> that, it's going really well. I You know, one... One point I want to bring up is uh, it, you are exactly, you know, dead on with the way, you know, I try to communicate with people and the, the things I think. And that's that your body is talking to you all the time, which is what's going on here. Uh, a, a lot about what you're talking about on a subconscious level. There's a lot of things going on in your body that 
you're just not aware of. Um, but like you said, you know, most people are only aware of stress if it's acute. If it happens right in the moment, they feel their heart rate go up or, you know, something happened at work that caused them uh, all kinds of mental stress, emotional stress. But we tend to lose perspective, like you said, as the body adapts to that and tries to cope. And then the symptomology comes up, like you said, when it breaks down. And this is a perfect correlation. My audience will understand uh, when we talk about something like CrossFit or exercising too much, your body adapts and you can become pretty good at it for a while until your body can no longer adapt and something breaks down. And this is a perfect equivalent to the emotional, mental side of things. Once your body can no longer adapt to that stress and the load has become too great, something starts to break down. And sometimes that's multiple things depending on um, how willful you are to ignore those and for how long. Uh, so I, what you're talking about there ever, should pretty much resonate with every, everybody in my audience. Um, we've all seen it in some way. I've experienced both the physical and mental before. And then you also brought up this great point about, um, you know, these core emotions are helping to guide the body. And this is something that we're seeing in cognitive science, uh, which you mentioned. It turns out, you know, A, one of the worst things that could have ever happened in Western culture was Descartes and his, you know, I think, therefore I am, which really his goal was to have a complete split from mind and body. And as we advance, we realize there is no split. Uh, you know, we think of our analytic problem-solving skills, our logical part of our thinking comes from the brain, when in fact it comes from the fact that we have a body and the specific type of body that we have. The more active we are, the more athletic we are, it turns out the stronger our logic skills are. So I usually see one of the smartest people in the school is the quarterback for the football team here in the States. Um, as you get those really finely tuned skills, you actually get an enhancement of your logical skills as well. It's that emotional part of us that comes from the brain. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about here. There's that emotional component that is really a way for us to interact with the world, to be guided through the world, and really specifically to help us in our interactions with other people and to do the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. Is that yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, there's a couple of points of what you just said there, you know, on, on that bit. I think it's interesting with the that the, the, the Cartesian split is the of, of mind and, and, and body, because I think an awful lot of people would um, probably say they they believe that, uh, you know, the mind and, and, and body are one. But when it comes down to it, I often find that people are still very much wedded to that that notion of the split. You know, this is something that I've encountered a great deal in working with symptoms that are physical. And I say I'm a psychologist and I deal with the, you know, people's largely looking at people's uh, emotions. Immediately people say, well, yeah, that but that that's all in the mind. How can how can that affect my body? Um, but, you know, the next sentence they may say, well, yeah, but I, I do agree in this kind of holistic perspective. So I think it's 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 wedded really always, you know, it seems to be embedded quite deeply within within people. 
Um, but I think as well, going back to you saying about the, the kind of the, 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 the idea of training, I, I think when it comes to, to trauma, when it comes to the, the stress response, I don't think there's any difference from physical trauma to uh, having um, emotional trauma. So if you have a car crash, you know, the, the, the physical effect on the body in terms of the prolonged stress response is no different from having experienced some, 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 some emotional abuse. And I think, so, you know, I, I, I would imagine as well, I mean, I know I've experienced, you know, because I've, I've trained, I generally weight trained, but I've trained for years, but I've had periods where if I have overtrained or, I, you know, I've, I've just gone a bit nuts, I can get a, an anxiety type response. Um, so I, I think it, you know, that, that kind that sort of ties in with, with what you're saying about really everything being connected. I would imagine you probably have listeners that have, that have experienced that too, where you, if you, if, if you overtrain, you can, you can feel a bit edgy, you can feel a bit agitated, your mood can be thrown off. Um, so that, I think that, that physical effect is, is almost identical to the, to, to the emotional. Yeah. And Again, that just really reinforces the fact that mind and body are, they're not heavily connected. They are the same. Uh, and, and that's unfortunately a Western culture kind of problem. If you look at Eastern cultures, they don't really see a separation. You know, in ancient Hinduism, the center of thinking is the, is the gut, essentially. You know, they, they really focus on that your center of thought your center of logic, everything is, you know, your core. Uh, and that, that still permeates a lot of Eastern medicine. And only in really small pockets has that, you know, invaded Western culture much at all. And it's a shame that it's so slow and we're so science focused. And that was a very, very difficult part of biology and the human body and the mind to penetrate and elucidate. And we're finally there. And, you know, unfortunately, what it's done is people who've done work like you in the past, it's cast a lot of doubt on it. It's like, oh, you know, this is some kind of voodoo new age stuff. And it, it's really not. You know, we had, yeah, yeah we had a lot of uh, techniques and empirical things that worked. But since we couldn't explain them scientifically, people just kind of, you know, threw up their hands and they tried to focus on something quantitative like calories in, calories out. Uh, which for people is very easy to calculate and grasp. Whereas what you're saying is not always so easy to, to grasp or to correlate in your mind. Like, oh, I, you know, maybe this, or let me wait before I go into that. And let's talk about how you, what is it you look at and target with these core emotions when you're trying to help people alleviate some of these uh, physical symptoms? Well, um, in working with people with 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 symptoms, you know, and it, they could be any symptoms. I, I I don't what what I don't know, and that is why one person might experience symptoms of anxiety. One person may experience some stomach upset, and one person may experience fatigue symptoms. I expect genetics plays a role in the manifestation of symptoms, um, but uh, that's something I don't know. In terms of working with them at a very simplistic level, it, it simply it really is a case that um, the idea, say that, that 
that our body is communicating with us constantly. And as you say, everything that goes on is, is feedback. So yeah, I come from that perspective of what whatever we feel is our body trying to inform us of something. You know, if you're walking along and you feel a pain in your foot and you take your shoe off and you realize there's a stone there, that that pain is, is you know, your body trying to say there's something damaging us here. So when it comes to working with symptoms, I'm assuming that there is there is a separation from self, a separation from or a blockage of, of, our, of, of our emotion, um, you know, it's imbalanced in some way. So it's it's actually looking at when this when does this, it's contextualizing when the symptom arises and looking at well, what might the what might those emotions be? It's assuming that over a period of time, a habit, a behavioral habit would have would have. Uh, being kind of practiced, if you will, whereby those emotions are blocked within certain contexts, and then it gets to the point where the say the, that over a period of time that blockage of emotion builds up, and then symptoms are present. But it's the symptoms, therefore, really is just like the body taking a megaphone trying to shout at you that you've really got to do something about this now. So it's it's looking at the context within symptoms. Uh, arise and and with a fair degree of, a, of 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 immediacy. So certainly to begin with, if I get if I'm working with people that are quite severely ill, they'll find that the you know the symptoms are immediately. So they they generally don't feel many emotions, but it's just you know they they have symptoms. And of course, usually the pattern is I well I've got symptoms. I need to do something to manage or control my symptoms. So I, I sort of turn that on its head, really, and say, right, okay, well, the symptoms of the body's way of trying to tell us something. Let's look at when they occurred, what was going on, who was there, what you were doing, because something about that needs to shift. So it's looking at then at changing really the person's interaction with their environment or maybe their relationship with themselves, but it's changing something about their interface with life within those contexts the symptoms are arising does that make sense yes yes perfectly um i i would equate that you know the megaphone metaphor that you used is perfect because you know that's how i started to talk about diabetes a couple years ago diabetes isn't you know this disease it's your body telling you that you have become so ridiculously overweight and sick that it's trying to prevent you from getting any sicker. And that's when we see the manifestation of, you know, all the symptoms that accompanies diabetes. And, you know, and it's a megaphone. At that point, your body is screaming at you that you have ignored this long enough. You cannot ignore it any longer. And, you know, the, and we have equivalent uh, treatments as well, whether it's mental or emotional or physical. Like, well, here, take these pills because they're going to alleviate some of your symptoms. And it really what it does is it just quiets that megaphone to where you don't have to listen to it as much. That doesn't mean your body's not still in danger. You're not still in some sort of trauma that's increasing. All, the, all that those medications are doing is masking it for a little while until it gets so bad, you know, you may not be able to repair the damage. Yeah. Well, it is, it, 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 it is interesting this because, you know, I, I kind of, thinks that our symptoms are almost a bit like a maths equation that if, if you su if you suppress them in one place it'll you'll get something that'll pop up somewhere else and the thing that I've, I noticed as well with um, 
with working with, say, people with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and, and those related disorders, is there is a progression to those uh, conditions. And it's almost like walking down a hallway. So they often coexist with uh, anxiety and, and depression. Or it may be that the person would have gone through it. It's almost like a staged uh, in a process whereby you know there'll be some some smaller symptoms maybe it starts with 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 headaches or some upset stomach or maybe some you know mild uh, depression or maybe a bit of in, insomnia and then that that usually kind of sticks around for a while and often then people will be trying to do something to to mask or to suppress those symptoms and then they find that you know, they'll maybe have a cluster of symptoms and then at some point later, maybe even years later, they develop full-blown uh, full blown chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. I, I, I remember t- talking to a, a doctor once and she, 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 came, she just came to talk about my work and, and I was, you know, I was kind of explaining this sort of hallway idea because I, I would often find that people would, you know, once they walked up the hallway of more, more, more severe symptoms, as they started to work with, work with me, they would walk kind of back down the hallway and experience the symptoms, the same symptoms on the way back. So maybe, you know, sort of 10 years ago, they'd had a bout of anxiety on their way to chronic fatigue. As they begin to get better, they, their chronic fatigue symptoms will recede and then they get a, a, a resurgence of anxiety on their way back to health. But what this what this this doctor said to me was, she said she reviewed something like 20 years of, of kind of case notes. And she said she could see how this pattern emerged, how people had come in with things that were reasonably minor and she'd given them, you know, meds for these. And then they come, you know, they'd been coming back for more more and more kind of uh, severe conditions. And this had really concerned her that, you know, she felt she was just kind of patching things up and not really dealing with the kind of core issue. So, yeah, it's... uh, it's it's interesting it's it's the the thing is is that we we have this immediate culture don't we that once you know we've got we've, bec- we've become very passive in in relation to our healthcare, and we we kind of want people to do things to us and quickly so we we want that that pill and of course our tv screens are inundated with adverts for things to kind of patch us up be it bowel complaints something to help you sleep something to calm you down something to kind of pep you up you know and I'm sure it's the same over there as it is in, in the UK it's probably even more so uh, so I think this is I, I find because you know the essence of my work is about I guess it's about empowerment really you know I don't really I don't really do anything to people I'm kind of trying to teach people that actually if they align themselves if they align their thinking mind and their and their non-thinking brain they allow them you know align with their kind of the heart and the gut they 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 get in touch with how they feel that that really gives them the starting point to taking control of their health and of course there's all the other stuff the stuff that you do and you know with regard to exercise and and diet and whatnot and for me those things are, are you know that's 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 the package but it is a, it's about empowerment and i often find that it's uh it's it's a bit of an uphill struggle sometimes because people are so used to to being passive, um, but the, I guess this is why I I think you're I'm kind of hoping that your audience is a is a is a good audience for me because you know I've been into training I've been into diet and whatnot for years and and for me I, you know it's been it feels like the, the 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 missing piece that we have to deal with our emotion and I see you know you you kind of see this thing that the, the there's this separation people deal with kind of the mind or whatever that is. And then you've got people deal with food and diet and nutrition, and then people deal with exercise. And exercise and diet have come together. 
but this the kind of this whole the whole uh, uh, emotional piece seems to have been left out to one side and i kind of my, my sense of it from, from what i can see is it's almost at best people will talk about well you've got to change your thinking you've got to think in a positive way we've well, got to deal with 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 your stress and for me that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't add up anymore because as i was saying earlier you know People are not necessarily aware that their body is in stress. And when it comes to thinking, as far as I'm concerned, thinking is not powerful enough. I don't, I don't believe that changing our thinking can change our core emotional experience. So I think, I, I think it's vital that these, you know, I think these things go together, nutrition, exercise, emotion, you know, emotion beyond the, beyond the mental. I think there's, there's a package that people need to address because I'm assuming that, you know, People that listen to your show and Abel James and Dave Ashby and whatnot, you know, they're they're kind of they're interested in, you know, how they feel, how they look, in, you know, their their kind of performance, their mental performance, their physical performance, but obviously their health. They're, they're you know, what people want is optimum health. They want to feel good and they want to be able to achieve. And you know, as you said earlier, that if if you if your emotional state is you know is not good, if you have a prolonged period of of being unaware that your emotion is blocked, you will be ill. And that's regardless of, of your diet. You know, I guess it's one of the things I've I've learned in with working with the clients that I do is that because because it's me and people haven't heard of me, um, the majority of people I work with have done a bunch of other things first. And you know, one of the main things they they do is look at their diet because because when it comes to a lot of these 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 these, these chronic problems there you know some sort of stomach complaint goes goes with it and i find that you know regardless of what people do with their diet even if they go back to the 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 poorish diet they had before they can still recover from their symptoms if their symptoms are are, are emotionally based but i think this is this is the other thing you know and i, I guess this is where i i want to go in terms of work is you know, I guess it's something you did with with Carl Backload, and it's it's, it's give, make make it so people can understand it. Give people a kind of a step by step process, because I think again, as you said earlier, it's one of the things you've got with nutrition is it's it's quantifiable. It's easier to kind of say, right, well, this is the this is the evidence. This is what we know. Even though it, it still amazes me that we have so many contrasting theories, but I think one of the things that with when it comes to to emotion and the mind is mind and the body it's it's it is it's complex really and uh and it's almost easier to just focus on well i can work out my training i can work out my diet and that's that's pretty easy to do but well this whole area of, of emotion what the hell's going on there so but i think we've got to find some way of bringing this bringing this into the arena because it's it, the three things i i feel have to work together you know what i mean so Kyle, Kyle, you know, I, I find the uh, hallway uh, analogy really intriguing. And I think that for some clients or for patients, for me, you know, that hallway can be very long and I can see how forgetting some of those early doors um, can blind you to what's going on and what's how it's affecting you currently. Um, but I, I also see the effect of, of stress on the body and I think it is a real thing and like you said it's really difficult to quantify and maybe that's part of the reason why the healthcare um, uh, providers find it difficult to, to treat it because there is again no quantifiable test or MRI or scan or 
type of test where it'll tell you what to do. And, and in a lot of these conditions, it's not going to be a roadmap like that. It's going to be very complex and, and interdependent. But, you know, I haven't, although I haven't looked at the literature recently, um, you know, we like, for example, if you take patients who have uh, coronary bypass surgery, uh, we know that emotion and stress play a huge role in recovery. And they've done studies that looked at placing patients uh, postoperatively on antidepressants, and they actually do better. So we know there's more than just fixing the plumbing problem or fixing a physical issue um, when it comes to more complex issues like, let's say, for example, heart disease. Uh, how is it that I assume that you're with your clients, a lot of these clients are going to, it's a very long, long, arduous kind of task to work with them. How does that look in a time scale? I mean, does it, I assume it probably see a, a wide range of, of, of work or wide range of time working with clients. Is it, do you find that sometimes there are easy things to go after and there are harder things and takes longer or what do you see? Oh yeah. It's, I would say, um, I, I guess it's, I, I I address problems trying to start with 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 things that are simple. So it's what simple things can we change in your life? A bit more of this, a bit less of that. You know, very simplistic things. And if if people respond to making very straightforward changes in their life, great. A small a small proportion, fifteen to twenty percent, I would say, will notice a difference and maybe even get better just by making basic changes to, to their lives um then the a, a lot the, the biggest percentage requires more of a shift with patterns in relation to the way they uh, in, interact with life so the way they approach things and also about people's perceptions of themselves so these kind of the, maybe some core beliefs they have about who they are so that's you know that then takes a lot long can take a lot longer um and again you know a huge a huge factor in which i'm sure you you find as well is that the 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 extent to which a person identifies with being ill has an enormous bearing so, you know, I've, I've worked with people that, that have been ill for 20, 30, even 40 years in some, some instances, whereby their entire life is based around being ill. Their, their whole identity is that of, of an ill person. And the, 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 the very notion of, of moving into a, a different lifestyle requires them adopting a, a new sense of, of identity. And that's, that's huge. So that can take, you know, I've, I've worked with people up, up, to, up to sort of two years um in those instances of trying to trying to shift those those patterns and it is it is very difficult because it seems to me as well that that people when it comes to shifting deeper patterns that relate to our sense of identity then then people will only shift at a rate that that's almost right for them and this there's almost some sort of inbuilt kind of rate of change that people go through um, you know, I've only had a couple of instances where people have changed very, very quickly. And they've then reported to me that they felt uh, extremely unstable because they don't know who they are, um, which is kind of interesting. Whereas, whereas most people, um, you know, will, you know, sort of report having a, a conscious level of frustration that they want to be changing more quickly. But there seems to be something that, that holds them back. Um, so people seem to change at that 
rate which is right for them and and hear things that I say at the at the right time for them as well. I often find that I, I can say things over and over and over again, you know, and after th- three months of saying something, I'll have a person say, oh, that, that makes sense now. That, that's, you know, so... Yeah, just I, I would say on average, but it's certainly things like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, about six months is is what what I find. Um, so it's it's not it's not anything that's immediate. Yeah, as you say, it's just not me when when I see some patients either if they have chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel. You know, these are very difficult patients to try to treat because, like you say, uh, a lot of the conventional uh, medical therapies don't simply work, and I find that. You, know, you talk about changing and changing behavior, although what might seem like a simple change to me um, seems like it's going to be very hard for those patients. And I guess that's the that's the difficulty I find working with some patients with these conditions because I I'll, I'll make a, I'll ask for a simple change, and in my mind that change is very easy, but in their mind I'm asking them to move a mountain, you know, two miles. And I'm sure you probably kind of come along with that in your work as well. And and maybe, like you say, over time, hearing it over and over again, eventually they'll realize, oh, well, okay, now I hear you. Um, how, oh. how, how, does, how does that approach work and how do, how do you kind of overcome that? Is this a matter of looking at other aspects or kind of coming back to that or re- reinforcement? Um, I, I, well... I suppose the, the the thing that I I try to do is 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 understand each individual and understand the the pattern around which symptoms present themselves, um, and once you know and for, for for most people there are there are core areas and core issues, and then it's about applying various kind of tools and techniques. So, you know, I, I, over the years I've I've developed a, a truckload of little little exercises and techniques that I get people to 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 put into practice. You know, and some things work for some people, and other and other others don't. So it's it's trial and and, and error really. Um, and you know, again, it it's I guess like all things really, as uh, things work better with with immersion. The the more you allow yourself to dive into something and fully embrace it, um, the the faster you'll you'll kind of get it. Um, so I, that that's a that's a huge factor. If I have you know again because I'm not really doing anything to people, I'm I'm inviting them to walk along a path with me. If if they immerse themselves and they do the exercises and they, you know they try the techniques and they they take on board what I'm saying, they tend to they tend to improve a little bit quicker. Um, but it is it's it's kind of it is difficult because often what you know the things I say to people are, are kind of are quite different to what they're they're used to. As I say, most people are used to being very passive in healthcare um, and they want that immediate uh answer to a symptom and and there's again when in, in looking at the idea that uh some blocked or suppressed or imbalanced emotion uh, uh, you know one area of your life may be leading to some symptoms it's the, the cause and effect can seem quite quite distant you know i think generally our, our mind immediately looks for cause and effect being very closely linked so you know if i've got acid reflux it's probably something I've eaten, you know, let's have a look at what I've eaten. Um, it may not, you know, it's, it seems a long, long way away to, to kind of 
picture that there's I've got some problems at work and I'm being treated unfairly and I'm I'm not really aware of that or I'm not really aware of how I feel about that but I come home and I have dinner and I had I have acid reflux so it's to, trying to get people to 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 expand their sense of, of cause and effect is 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 can be tricky as well and I think this is you know you've really you you talked about um this is really interesting to me because you've talked about this sense of um, your self-image and how you see yourself. And then also these problems that might come up because, you know, at work you're feeling unfairly treated. And we haven't really talked about the intrapersonal relation or interpersonal relationships and how those can kind of affect those core emotions. And there's been a lot of really interesting research uh, recently about, um, and, and some older psych- psychological work as well about how you can kind of people around you at a subconscious level can make you resonate essentially in a certain way. So it, it's going to be imperceptible gestures or the way they talk or the language they use, um, some mannerism that they could possibly have that could trigger both positive and negative states in you. And, you know, one thing we see, there's this great book. Uh, there's two great books, actually, I'm going to talk about. One of them is called The Art of Seduction, uh, which isn't what it sounds like. It actually goes into the psychology of some good and bad patterns that people may fall into or be susceptible to that can actually make you feel pretty horrible and that's how you can get stuck into these long-term bad relationships, whether it's a work relationship, a personal relationship, a, a romantic relationship. And then another book that explores that even more deeply is called A General Theory of Love, which, again, uh, also isn't exactly what its title says. It talks about these resonances that people can trigger in us, and they're often bad patterns that started when we were really young. And unfortunately, we don't recognize these. We can't, at a conscious level, it's very, very difficult to recognize these. And you may be forced to spend time with a person who's triggering this internally, and this is a massive amount of stress. And we can see a physical stress response. And, you know, in context to what you're talking about, this would be something that would definitely affect the core emotional state of the person. They're not conscious of it, but their body is having a physical chemical reaction to these really bad patterns. And we can see this in anxiety disorders. Um, uh, Literally, you could be around the right type of person that will trigger an anxiety disorder. And they won't do or say anything specific. It's just the fact that you're around them and that you can get the full effect of their presence. You can see them, you can hear them, and you can pick up on their mannerisms. So when you have, do you see this a lot or do you have to help people deal with this and identify some of those people in their lives that are causing these just constant bombardment of negative core emotions? It's is that something that you've had to look into or are people able to get to the point that they can identify some of those relationships themselves i mean i think it's 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 a really interesting point and you're coming from it from, coming at it from a really different perspective 
Because of my metaphysical interests, I suppose I have a slightly different take on that, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure there's overlap. So my my again because because when I work with people, I'm trying to encourage empowerment. I I invite people to look at what is in their life as if it's serving some purpose for them, but also that they are at some level creating the experience they have. Now I think that there is there's no doubt that there's an energetic uh, d- dynamic that exists between people, and you know it may be that that if you are behaving in a certain way, you will elicit certain behavioral patterns from, from other people, you know, and there's, I, I think there's a, there's fairly good academic research to, to back that up. You know, so if, if you, if you believe a child to be naughty and you treat a child as if it is naughty, then you'll find that the child will begin to exhibit more patterns of behavior that, that you would qualify as being normal, uh, naughty, you know? So I think there is, there's there's definitely that issue. So the, yeah, I, there is no doubt. I think that the the people in our lives are the biggest catalysts for emotion for us. Um, but what the the way I I kind of I guess I take it a step further is is looking at you know and it's usually you know it's it's a parent, a spouse, a child, maybe a a kind of a work colleague, but they tend to be you know a, a few people in the, in each person's life that are the catalyst for the most amount of emotion. So. You know, occasionally it may be that we we arrive at the conclusion that a person is not good for me, but most of the time I, I'm I'm looking at it from what is it how 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 have I invited this person into my life and how you know what is it about my behaviour my interface with them that may be eliciting a behaviour from them that is not useful for me. Um, so I, I mean that. You know, it doesn't always work out that if one person changes, the other person changes. But it, it's very often the case. Um, you know, it's it's something that, that I've heard teachers say that you can you can spot the kid in the in the in the playground that's going to be bullied. Uh, and there's something about this energy. I th- I believe that we that we we do do radiate. Um, and I think that. Uh, through radiating energy in that way, I, I say I, I feel that we we kind of we attract things. We attract we attract type different types of people. You know, a, a great a great example of this was you know I I've seen this 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 a, a fair amount with with people that have been through through abuse at one level, either through a childhood or abuse in with with a partner. And uh, you know, I, I remember I, I had a client and she was a chronic fatigue client and she said to me that she'd been I kept in touch with her after she she she'd recovered and she'd she kind of charted through this experience of having a, a, a boyfriend that was that was abusive, and then she there were a couple of boyfriends that were abusive, and she managed to get herself out of those relationships. And then as she was working with me, and she she her we kind of we tried to prime her ant- antennae and change her behaviour and change her relationship with herself as well, so that maybe she could spot these guys and you know, before she actually got into a, into a, a relationship with them and then not get in, in the relationship. And then this this went on for a period of time until she got to a space where she didn't seem to attract men that were going to uh, abuse her. I remember the last time I saw her, she said, she said, it's really kind of interesting because she said, when I look back at when I was in those, those abusive relationships, she said, I seem to have a lot of friends that were victims as well. And she said, now... I don't. I'm not. You know, I don't seem to attract abusive men. But also, I I don't know anyone that is in 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 an in an abusive relationship. So, 
I think that connects a bit with what you're saying, but I, I th- that you know my approach is 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 about is that kind of looking for for empowerment is it's it's I suppose it's very easy when you you know if if you have a health condition and if medicine can't offer you an explanation for it and then I'm saying well it's about blocked or imbalanced emotions it's very easy to to blame yourself for that and then if if you're looking at people in your in your life. Um, it's you know I have to tread very carefully if I'm looking at you know to to walk towards empowerment. Looking at right, well, how might I be be creating this? But when we get into that empowered space, you know, and and we kind of take control back, we take power back. Then it's uh, you know it's it is about looking right. Well, how you know as I shift the way I if I, as I shift my relationship with me, it, it will probably affect how I'm treated. You know, if you if you have somebody that that believes himself to be a fool, then there's a very good ch- you know he, there's a very good chance, as far as I'm concerned, in my experience of it, he's radiating that out, and people will treat him as if he's a fool. So it's you know again, this is I don't know how scientific that is, but it's certainly that I certainly something that I I've seen, and I've seen as people have changed their relationships with themselves, they've 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 changed. Uh, what they seem to, uh, what, what's, what seems to, to, to show up in their lives. Yeah, it does totally. That's exactly, you know, kind of, that's exactly the topic that uh, a general theory of love kind of discusses is exactly what you're saying. If you uh, send out these signals, you know, they will cause other people to, I like to think of resonance because, you know, I'm a physicist. So that, that analogy works with me. You know, you send out this impulse and people who are people around you who are susceptible to that impulse will pick up on it and then they're going to treat you in that appropriate way. You know, you you could have a a kid who, like you said, you can pick out who's going to get bullied on the playground. But if you put them in an environment where there's nobody who's going to look for that, then they're not going to get bullied. You know, they're sending out the signal and there has to be. Uh, receptacles out there to receive that. And, you know, I found in my own life that that makes a huge difference in my stress levels, in how effective my diet is, how effective my exercise is, is literally the people I spend time with. And, you know, I've had those crazy, wild personal relationships that were just chaotic. And, you know, and I've unfortunately had multiples of those when I was younger. And it it wasn't until later till I realized, okay, I'm the common link here. (laughs) And when, and and you know, and that's, that's really a key point. It's like, you know, I'm the common link. I'm the one that keeps attracting this because every woman out there cannot be psychotic. It must be me that's finding this and causing it in some way. And I know that sounds funny to some of our some of our audience might feel that way but you know when I recognize that I can always remember the best periods I ever had diet and training was when I was single and when I would be in one of those relationships everything went to hell and then now later in life that I've recognized that like my personal relationships really don't affect my health or or how I look or how I feel or my exercise anymore because I figured that out I figured out what those bad impulses were that I would get sucked into and have just massive amounts of stress that wasn't necessarily conscious. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I had a very different, 
definite physical reaction and being so in tune with my body, I could see it. I could see it on my body. I could see that my shape wasn't what it should be, or my diet wasn't panning out like it should be, or my exercise wasn't going like I expected it to go. And, you know, we miss those. We miss those connections. And unfortunately, you know, unless people speak with someone like you and seek you out, like you might go your whole life without ever seeing those connections. And you can't figure out why your diet doesn't work. Well, it's not that your diet is really that broken. It's that you've got so much extra stress from the relationships around you and, you know, this sense of self that's out of balance that your diet's not going to fix things. Um, it's not going to fix everything. It's a good start, but it's not going to be the panacea that makes everything better. I think it's, it's crucial. I think what you say is absolutely perfect, really. That's, you know, because I, I the pattern you've described is, is exactly what I see is that people often find themselves with the same kind of partner as I was saying earlier and they and to begin with blame the other person you know it's and again that's that's kind of what we do don't we we, we seem to have, have evolved into a culture which is fairly disempowered I you know I think I think probably less so certainly in the west coast of America but certainly in Britain and certainly parts of Britain we are we we are quite disempowered, and we 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 we're looking to blame the government or blame teachers or blame parents, and it's always somebody else's fault. And I think you know when you can go through that process of empowerment of recognizing this is something about me, that, and then recognize well, there's probably something in this for me. There's something for me to learn from this, and therefore there's something I can change about this. So if I want to have a different experience of of life, it begins with me. I mean, I, I'm a big of the old Gandhi quote, which is be the change you want to see in the world. And I think that ties in totally with this because it's when you when you be that change, when you are how you feel you should be, then you radiate that out. And uh, therefore, in terms of what, what you resonate with, you're, you're likely to, you know, you I, I believe you're, you're impacting upon everything else around you as as well as ideally attracting back to you things that are more pleasant um and that that's i think when 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 the lesson is learned um i think you know i often see this thing of history uh, repeating itself with with people you know in personal relationships things happening at work um and yeah it's that's where that's as you say it, it it will affect everything um, so I think it's this is why I think it's so important that this 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 emotional work really is needs to be you know the the third key piece of the kind of the health and you know optimum health kind of lifestyle field. Um, I think anyway. I would think that almost the amount or the abundance of stimulation that occurs in current society, whether it be physical or mental has probably played a huge role in the way it desensitizes us to, uh, as Kiefer said earlier, know our body or know how our body is reacting or what it's doing. And I would imagine that you probably see that as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's certainly an interesting one. Uh, I think that, um, I think, I think, think uh, our young people these days seem to be, seem to be more different I mean, I think my kids are more different from me as compared to me and, and, and my parents. So I think they seem to be dealing with this stuff better. Um, I certainly think that, yeah, that 
I think we do sort of tune out, don't we? I think the 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 rate of 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 kind of the pace of modern life is that people often wander around in a in a trance like state, and I think we are we're conditioned therefore. Uh, you know, and people are looking for a bigger house or a bigger car or the, uh, you know, more money or a better job. And, you know, this, I think, I think a lot of people, these, I I think this is why we're seeing almost like this epidemic of kind of health problems that the medicine isn't really dealing with is because people are waking up to the realization that they've sort of been sold a lie. So they don't feel quite right, you know, and this is what I, I, I encounter masses of people that uh, either they feel kind of lost or stuck or a bit kind of disillusioned, or, you know, or a bit stressed or agitated, or they may have full-blown symptoms of something. And I think this is it. Yeah, people kind of go through their lives. I think, you know, we, we have this great line, don't we, of what do you want to be when you go up, grow up? So you go through school, you go through college, you get a job, you get a career. And, you know, you're, 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 your conditioned brain is kind of pushing you on and you, you're bombarded with all of this data and you sort of have to, filter most of it out and yeah it has a certainly has a massive impact i, th- I think i think a, you know the a, a big part of it is people people you know in becoming trance like people do tune out of their body you know i think uh, you know there's there's that thing of just kind of let, let me just float through life um actually this is a i, I this is going to seem very off topic but uh you actually hit on something that we're you know i hear a lot about you know sleep is incredibly important and i'm going to tie this back to this bombardment of information um and then you have other people that are like oh you can only sleep four hours a night and be just as productive and blah 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 but that turns out that's just completely not true um and that's because we finally understand what sleep is for in the brain there was some very clever research done recently that showed basically when you're awake whether you're conscious of it or not, and this goes back to the whole stress uh, related to stress and everything, whether you're conscious of it or not, you are absorbing unbelievable amounts of information around you and you're processing it and it's causing you know changes. Even, for example, they've shown studies that if you see a McDonald's sign in the United States, uh, if you see a McDonald's sign, all of a sudden you become anxious and impatient because you want things faster. It's very interesting. This is on a subconscious level. So we go through the day and we're absorbing all this information. We're making all these connections. And then at night, what happens is while we're sleeping, it turns out the important connections are not being strengthened. What the brain actually does is go through and prunes all the information that's not important, all the near connections that we don't need. And so it takes this eight-hour process of pruning back all of this information. And that's why we see as we go into sleep deprivation, we see this huge amount of stress because the brain cannot cope with all of this information coming in. It's just not possible. And it doesn't matter what drugs you use to stay up. It doesn't matter if you're using modafinil, which I know is a particular favorite of, of some uh, popular health people out there, or if it's caffeine. Those things cannot circumvent that process. You have to stop, slow down, and let your brain clean itself out. Um, and that's a huge source of stress for people who have sleep problems or they are, um, they have, uh, they're chrono shifted because of their work. You know, these things are very, very important. And 
you know, you, you tipped on that with all this information that's coming in constantly. We, in this society today, we probably need sleep more than any other time in the existence of human beings. We really need to weed out all of that information that, you know, at the moment, we just kind of coast through. Like you said, it's distracting and we need to get rid of that to operate optimally and be healthy. And, you know, it, it obviously affects every aspect of life from like gum health to uh, cardiovascular disease to, you know, even our personal relationships. Nobody wants to be in a relationship with somebody who's ang- angst ridden all the time because they never sleep. So I just wanted to throw that in there because I thought it was an interesting connection to everything we're talking about here. Well, I, you know, it is very interesting because and there's, there's almost a painful irony there that when people have emotional buildup or, you know, feel stress, they often sleep less. Um, but, you know, I, I find that people, you know, may, may, you know, may talk about dreaming and the extent to which they dream. And you know, dreaming is part of this process that you talk about, isn't it? Is where the brain is processing. So if there is a lot of emotion that's, that's built up through through the day that needs to be processed, then you know what we'll find is we will dream more as the brain goes through that uh, pruning process of getting rid of all that the guff that we uh, that we don't need. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. There've been some interesting things about sleep, about you know sleep patterns. And people saying, well, you know, we're you know it may be that we're moving towards needing shorter naps. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't quite, uh, I'm not sure how that's going to pan out. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's sleep is sleep sleep is a is a is a massive one, isn't it? It's it's it has such an enormous impact on absolutely everything. Um, so yes. Yeah. So do you, you know, we're, we're at the end of our hour. Do you, you want to sum up with anything? Uh, you should probably tell our audience where they can find out more about you and your work. Um, my website is, uh, Kyle, Kyle Davies.net, K-Y-L-E-D-A-V-I-E-S.net. And yeah, you know, as I said, I, you know, I, I work with, uh, I've, I've got a number of downloadable programs on my on my website if people are interested to get a bit of a taster for, for what I do um, I've got some workshops I'm going to be running this year but my my I guess the mainstays of my work are I do life coaching I work with with uh, depression anxiety uh, and the, the pain and fatigue conditions so I've got some programs on my website for for, for all of those things really um, so that that's me yeah as I say my my what I would love to see would be more inclusion of this kind of the, the, the emotional side of things incorporated within this field of, of health and wellness, you know, along with diet, nutrition and exercise. Cause I, I, I believe the three, you know, kind of, kind of go together. I, I actually would completely agree with that. Uh, I still remember my, I think it was my ninth grade health class and those were the three aspects of health that they listed was physical health, mental health, and emotional health. And I don't think I've ever heard that since that ninth grade health class. So Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, you know, great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on, Kyle, and thanks for reaching out. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's been, been fantastic. And uh, well done with all your good work. Thank you. Uh, You the same. So this is uh, 
Body.io FM signing off. We'll have links to Kyle's uh, website and um, some YouTube videos on the podcast. So hope everybody enjoyed this and we'll catch you next time. been listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.